welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and it's great to have you here with us today. Most people that I interview on the podcast fit into a specific category. They're either an editorial or celebrity hairstylist, maybe a colorist or a barber, or the founder of some new industry technology, or perhaps they've founded a new business model or are an educator or a product developer, or maybe they're a salon owner or represent some other industry niche where they've achieved success. But my guests on today's podcast are Ted Gibson and his husband and business partner, Jason Backey, who have pretty well ticked all those boxes successfully. And Ted also has this other accolade that follows him around of being the most expensive hairdresser. So in today's podcast, we will discuss the Ted Gibson salon business model, salon pricing, products, the Amazon salon and salon design and the client experience and so much more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Ted Gibson and Jason Barkey. Hi, Anthony. Thank you so much for having us. Anthony, darling. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't even choreographed, and that was perfect. <laughs> okay. So um, we've never met before, uh, but it's it's really good to have this opportunity where we're doing this over Zoom so I can see you. And we've had a little warm-up chat beforehand, uh, which was great. Uh, but I've got also got a little bit of an icebreaker here before we get started. So I don't know who's going to go first, um, you know, Eeny Meeny. Jason, you're going first. Uh, so, so, so here it is. You've both got the same uh, icebreaker. Uh, Jason, when you were growing up, who was your childhood celebrity crush? Oh, well, I think when I was really little, it was G.I. Joe. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> you did start uh, early. Like the action figure. Um, yeah. I thought it was really hot. And I, then I think um, I loved Sean Cassidy. I loved um, Andy Gibb. Okay, you're getting Tom greedy Snell. now. Okay, that's Tom enough. <laughs> oh, you get the idea? Okay. <laughs> I, get, I get the idea, yeah. Okay. All right, Ted, who was your celebrity, uh, celebrity crush when you were growing up? I do have to say that I look nothing like those people you just met. I, I know. I thought that as well. <laughs> if you didn't know it, this is my husband. We've been together 27 years, and I look nothing like those guys. But anyway. <laughs> um, I, That's because I didn't know any black people until I went to college. Oh, what the big sense? Well, you know, it, it depends on if you, if you ask me the question of celebrity crush, if you meant male or female. Um, if you say female, I would say that I definitely had an affinity for um, different cultures. So I, you know, was so into Lola Falana and uh, Farrah Fawcett and Jacqueline okay. Smith and um, for females, because I really loved beauty. And then for guys, um, you can run the gamut of movie stars from Paul Newman to Denzel Washington to... Um, let's see. Um, there's so many, you know, I yeah. love 
I think from an early age, um, I loved cinema and I loved uh, celebrity from an early age. Great. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Well, okay. So now we've done that, let's jump in and I'll get each of you to do your, you know, short two minute backstory. So, you know, who is Jason Barkey? Who is Ted Gibson? Uh, and and you got to cram that into two minutes max. Okay. <laughs> Are you going first? No, you Bullet first. points. And then I'm going to dig in afterwards. So. Uh, my name is Jason Baki. I'm originally from northern Minnesota, a small town of uh, 8,500 people. I went to beauty school kind of late. I think I was like almost 25 when I think I was 24, which was a lot older than the rest of the people that I was in class with. Um, and that's where I met my husband, Ted Gibson. He was my teacher in beauty school. Um, when I finished school, I worked at a salon in Minneapolis for a little bit. And then Ted and I had the opportunity to move to New York City with Aveda, where we opened our first salon. I worked for Aveda for six years first. Then we opened a salon. We had that salon for 14 years. During that time, I had contracts with Aveda and then Wella and uh, um, Clairol, Clairol uh, L'Oreal Professional. Um, and so I've built my career really as a facilitator and as a brand representative. We also launched our own product line that was hugely successful. Uh, started off in one department store in New York City and ended up at a thousand doors of Target. Um, mm. And now we've just recently launched another product called Starring um, and our new salon concept called Starring by Ted Gibson here in Los Angeles on La Brea. Cool. Well, I'm going to dig into all that stuff uh, <laughs> okay. during the next hour. Uh, so Ted, what's your, what's your two minute backstory? Well, you know what? I grew up in a military family. Hi, everyone. My name is Ted Gibson. I grew up in a military family. Uh, my dad was in the Army. We traveled all over the globe uh, from Japan, Germany, Hawaii, wow. Texas. I say that I am a Texan because that was the longest place I lived um, until living in New York City for over 20 years. And in that, the, the 30 years of a plus of me being a hairdresser with that beauty school license, the things that I've been able to do, I always talk about how incredible it is because I have been mm. able to be a beauty school teacher. I have uh, lived in major um, cities all over the, in, in the United States from New York and, and Los Angeles. I have done fashion shows from New York, London, Milan and Paris, Couture. I have um, had four salons. I've had two successful product lines. I've had four salons that I believe had changed the marketplace wherever they were. Um, I have done many, many covers of countless covers of magazines. I have done so many red carpet events. I've worked with so many celebrities. You know, yesterday specifically, it was a Thursday and Throwback Thursday. I did a Throwback Thursday and I forget about um, the amount of women that I've had the opportunity to work with and that have had the opportunity to work with me. Um, I just want to add. And um, I think that my specialty is really seeing something in a woman that she doesn't see in herself. And my job is to bring that out and show her something that she has never thought about. So I love beauty and I'm very Great. fortunate to found something that I love to do. Fantastic. So you've obviously not been very busy over the last 20, 30 years. We've <laughs> taken, had a lot of, a lot of downtime. <laughs> okay. So did, did you say you've been together 27 years? We have. Yes. That's fantastic. Yeah. So your your life partners and your business partners. How do you how do you divvy up the roles in the business? Who's responsible for what areas of the, the salons? 
Well, I think that the, the great thing about a partnership, whether you're in a relationship or a partnership in business, is knowing what um, each other's strengths are and allowing that person to have their strength. And I think that that's what the bit, what's been the success of our dynamic in relationship, in business, in relationship, in um, life, is that we allow each other to be who we are. And I mm. think that's a, a lesson for everyone in this entire world to really adopt in their relationships. Because my astrologer says that's what life is, is um, relationships and conflict. <laughs> and if you can manage those two things, then you'll have a successful life. Yeah. I think okay. is like, he's the visionary and I'm the taskmaster. Like right. I come up okay. with some good ideas, but Ted comes up with the really big picture. Um, yeah. And like yesterday was a great example. He's on set all day with a celebrity, you know, living the glamorous life. And I was sitting at my computer all day, sending emails and creating schedules and all that kind of stuff. So it's, you know, we balance each other out in that way. Like the things that he loves to do, I don't really want to do. Like mm. I'll, I color hair on some famous people because Ted's like, Hey, will you color her hair? And I say, sure. Um, but it's not my dream to be a celebrity colorist. Yeah, it's not my totally dream stuff. It's more, I'm, I'm really inspired more by the entrepreneurial part, the business part, the, um, building relationships part. But Anthony, I do have to say something about what Jason just said is the fact that that hasn't always been. But I think that as a person who, who I know I'm going to speak for Jason, but the the idea of success um, comes from a place where you're able to do that if you're successful. I think it's harder not to be able to do that if you don't have some success under your belt and knowing who you are as an individual and an artist. It is definitely a luxury mm -hmm. to be able to say that I color hair when I want to, um, yeah. to keep my fingers in it because it's fun and I get inspired. Um, but I don't color hair because I have to. You know, yeah, when I was, no, I when I was I told, yeah. 28, I had colored hair because I had to, and I had three columns and, you know, all these women waiting to get their hair, their hair colored, but I'm just yeah. in a different place now where I get to focus on different stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Okay. Um, you said you met at a uh, beauty school, uh, an Aveda beauty school and, and you were the teacher, Ted. Yeah. Correct. Okay. So, so how, did you work closely with, with Horst? I did, you know, I have okay. the, the, the blessings, you know, I, I say that I'm an opportunist because I believe when opportunity comes to you, when it comes to me, I take it. And yeah. one of the things that had happened, I lived in Austin, Texas at the time. And the woman who I worked for, her name is Zan Ray. And she's kind of my life coach now, um, after all of these years. And she um, was at Aveda Concept Salon, and this was in the early uh, 90s. We went to, we actually went to Minneapolis to visit the Aveda Institute, but at that time it was called the Horst Education Center. For fashion, yeah. beauty, wellness, and art. Exactly. So this was in the beginning stages of um, probably 10 years, maybe after he had started the school, sure. um, maybe 10 years. And then um, it was in the mansion in Minneapolis on, in Minneapolis. And we went to Minneapolis to um, essentially get training and, I found out that that was the next place that I needed to be. So I moved to Minneapolis and worked for Aveda for over seven years. 
And during that time of working for Aveda, I was, I worked at the front desk because I didn't have a cosmetology license. I had a barber's license from Texas. So I had moved to Minneapolis without a job and then ended up finding that I could change my barber's license to a cosmetology license, but I had to move to Georgia for three months to do that. So I moved to Georgia. Mm. Um, you know, when you want something so bad, <laughs> everything, yeah, you do what it takes. Yeah. I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be a part of that Aveda network. So I moved to Georgia, moved back, got my license, started teaching at the school, and then became a global educator um, after about two years um, at the Horse Education Center, and then became a global educator and got had the opportunity to work directly with Horse for many, many, many years. And yeah. that opportunity really, he helped me how to think about being an entrepreneur, and he also helped me how to dress hair. So I was very fortunate for that experience. Okay. We're going to talk about your products later, but I just want to ask you now, did Horst influence you in terms of product and your sort of ethos behind products? Yeah. Yeah. I think that what he really instilled in me, not the idea of natural, you know, nothing like that, but I think the innovation, I think is something that he really, um, I definitely took from him about innovation and about mm. how to create something that maybe someone else didn't think of. So it wasn't necessarily just a shampoo and a conditioner that was more thought out than that. So I definitely sure. think innovation from horse. Okay. So you're in, in Minnesota teaching in the school. You meet yeah. Jason. Yeah. Uh, you've got a barber's license, but you transition into doing ladies' hair. Yes. Uh, when did you sort of transition into doing editorial work? W what was that sort of segue about? Was it, again, one of those opportunities that came up and you went, it's an opportunity, I've got to take it, or, or, or what? How did that work? Um, yes, <laughs> it was. <laughs> you know, I um, – at, when I was teaching at the school and became a global educator, I developed the Purefume Brilliant line. So a lot of people know that line. It still oh, okay. exists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was part of my baby of testing it on in the test salon and making sure the efficacy was right and making sure that everything worked and how, how it worked on all textures of hair. Um, and then I went to... Let's see, we, this was 1980, 1995, I think, 95, 96. And we did trend work every single year. And we brought in, first we brought in Thomas McIver, and I don't know if you know who that is. But yeah, Thomas I know Thomas. McIver, yeah, yeah he, he, we brought him in to help us with our trends. And as we, we brought him in, I discovered that there was something else besides being behind the chair or teaching. Mm. He introduced me to the idea of fashion. And then the next season, we brought in Eugene Solomon and Pat McGrath. Mm -hmm. And Eugene and Pat were um, on their rise. Mm. They, were, they were really hot, but they were still on their rise at this moment. And yeah. we and Ruby Hammer in London. Uh, okay, yeah. So we ended up, um, Horst and Eugene invited me to Milan to do my first shows. And I, I remember the moment I arrived in Milan, I went to the test, hair, makeup and hair test for, for Mew Mew with Eugene. Mm -hmm. So that season we did Mew Mew, Prada, Dolce & Gabbana, Straness, and many others. And that introduced me to my next life, essentially. That, that's a that's a bit of a baptism of fire, isn't it? Eugene just taught me 
the whole experience of what being backstage and understanding the idea of what you do behind the chair and what you do in editorial is completely different. Yeah, totally, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the aesthetic, the way that you move it is completely different. And yeah. um, that's really essentially how it happened. And then Horse said that I should move to New York. And I was like, uh-uh. Jason, Jason didn't want to move. I my can't. big move was from northern Minnesota <laughs> to Minneapolis. That was my big so, move to big city. So you were, you were still in Minneapolis at that point. Yeah, so I was even, still in Minneapolis. So when you left beauty school, Jason, were you working in a salon in Minneapolis or something? I did. I worked for a guy named John English. Everybody who knows John. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I worked for him for, I think, two or three years. I went through their assistant program. Um, I became really busy, really fast at that salon. It was a really great experience. I learned so much from John and Linda. Um, And when Horst said to Ted, you know, there's something about you that needs to be in New York. You don't need to be in Minneapolis. Um, I was like, I don't want to go to New York. My family's (laughs) here. I'm successful in my job. I'm like, all my friends are here. Um, And Ted was like, okay. And then Horst mentioned it again. Um, and I was like, no. And then Ted said, you know, horse asked me for a third time and I don't think he's going to ask again. So I said, okay, we'll go for a year. Mm. Uh, and moved to New York without, I had been to New York twice. Um, both times was for about four to six hours on like a tour. And both times I went to the world trade center and the statue of Liberty. (laughs) And so that's all I knew about New York. Yeah. Um, And the, the day that we got there, we got into our apartment. Um, Ted had a job. I didn't have a job. Um, and I was just like, wow, why did I spend six years in Minneapolis? Mm-hmm. I love New York. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I still right. love New York. I just don't want to live there anymore. But New York yeah. is the city that I love the most in the whole world. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ted was working probably three months. And I took... Was it that was it that long that oh, I wasn't working? Yeah. And I took that opportunity to go to every single salon that I'd ever read about. Mm. And Thomas McIver actually said to me, he said, don't work for Aveda. Because if you work for Aveda, you might as well stay in Minneapolis because that's where Aveda was based. Mm. He said, work someplace else. And so I went to, um, I interviewed at John Sahag. I interviewed at Garen. I interviewed at Bumble and Bumble. Oh, actually, cool. I accepted a place with... Um, I interviewed with um, Rodney Cutler. Yeah, no, not Rodney, Nick Arojo. And great interview. We like clicked. I was like, okay, if I have to start over and be an assistant in New York, I'm going to do it with this guy because he speaks my language. Mm. So I took the job. The day before I was supposed to start working, I went to the Aveda Institute to see Ted and Horst was there. And Horst said, so what are you doing? Like, what are you going to do? Where are you going to work? <laughs> I love the, I love the accent. I met horse. I know it was, but you nailed the, you nailed the accent. <laughs> um, and I said, I'm going to go work at Bumble and Bumble. If I have to be an assistant again, I want to learn from Nick. I want to go through their training program. And Horst mm. said, um, don't go work for Bumble and Bumble. He said, I know that you um, are a great hairdresser already. Come and work for me at Aveda and I won't make you be an assistant. You can go right on the floor. Mm. And I called Nick and I said, Hey, horse just asked me to work for Aveda. And Nick said something that at the time didn't really mean much to me. He said, well, we're certainly no Aveda. (laughs) 
And I was like, okay. Um, so I started working and right away I started um, becoming an educator for them. And the first class that I taught was their experience of data. It was like a three day product knowledge class. Mm -hmm. My very first class, guess who's sitting there? Nick and Rodney, because they were leaving Bumble and Bumble and they were opening an Aveda concept salon. <laughs> but they're no Aveda. Very interesting. <laughs> okay. All right. So I, I know that one of your um, one of your many hats that you wear, Ted, I know uh, Rod. Uh, Jason's got the hat on at the moment, but I know one of the many hats that you wear, Ted, is also of celebrity hairdresser. And, yes. and I know that doing that sort of celebrity gig is very different to the editorial gig again, isn't it? Absolutely. It's certainly not for everyone's cup of tea. I'm a, I'm a bit like Jason here is I dipped a toe in the water. I tried the editorial thing and, you know, the celebrity that was not me. I'm not cut out for that. It was just knowing where your skills are and where they aren't. But again, you, you've made that transition, which is something a lot of young hairdressers really aspire to do. So, so tell us how that came about that transition. Well, you know, Anthony, it's, it's, it's funny because I did not want to be a, a effing celebrity hairdresser. Mm. <laughs> I'll, I'll just say that. And um, it's, it's crazy how it happened because I um, wanted to be a fashion hairdresser. I was trained by, you know, Thomas McIver and I was trained by Eugene Solomon. And then I worked with Julian Dees and I, you know, I worked in this high profile um, fashion world and built a really great reputation in editorial and was doing every major publication. Um, and it, it was great. And then models at that time were still on covers of magazines. So then it started to kind of shift a little bit where, you know, models slash actresses were starting to be on covers yeah. more and more. And I was doing editorial and, and a couple of just one cover, a couple of covers for Marie Claire magazine, mm -hmm. American Marie Claire. And um, the the fashion director at the time, Lucy Sykes um, from London, uh, Plum Sykes' sister, if you don't know who uh, those girls I, I are. I know the name. Yeah. Yeah. Lucy Sykes. And she said, Ted, you are real. I have this job that's happening and I really think you should do it. And I said, what is it? What is it? I was so excited. What is it? She said, um, it's a cover and it's a celebrity. And I said, really? <laughs> she said, yeah, I think you should do it. I think it'll change your career. I said, mm, I don't really want to be a celebrity hairdresser. I'm a because, um, <laughs> Let me just chime in. Like at the time, if you lived in. Well, I was getting to that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See what I have to do with? Uh, I feel like this is my story. Okay, go ahead and tell it. <laughs> No, keep going. <laughs> See, I don't like ugly. He doesn't. <laughs> so, so as I um, told Lucy Sykes that I did not want to do uh, this cover, she said, well, I think, really think you should do it. And at the time, at the time, if you lived in New York and you did fashion, it's because you were a real hairdresser. If you lived in L.A., and you were doing celebrities, it was because you weren't good enough to be in New York doing fashion. And because celebrity hairdressers at that time weren't great, mm. you know? And as a new, as a New York hairdresser or a fashion hairdresser, we created the trend. The yeah. We were backstage, you know, that whole thing in Devil Wears Prada where they're talking about the cerulean blue, that was really actually it. Yeah, yeah. 
and yeah. trickle down to the consumer. Like we would, we, you know, the, the clothes we would shoot that we would do them in February in the shows. And then that wouldn't come out until we start shooting an editorial and then it would come out in later in the year. So that's how it was. And if you didn't live in New York city, you know, you weren't thought of as great. So Lucy said, okay, so I really think you should do it. I said, okay, well, who is it? She said, well, it's two covers. It's in one day. It's in London and it's uh, Patrick Demarchelier is shooting it. And it's Angelina Jolie. So Marie Claire in the morning, Cosmo in the afternoon. And I really think you should do it. And I said, okay. I flew to London, shot with Angie that whole day became a love affair. We ended up, I worked with her for about seven years and it changed my career because mm. everyone wanted to know who was that, who who's doing that hair? Because it was a moment where she was going from that weird girl with blood around her neck and kissed her, just kissed her brother at the Oscars yeah. to the, icon, the beauty icon we know today. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And I think that those hairdressers who are listening today know that those moments of how a woman goes from one place to the next, mm. it's because of her hair. Yeah. And it's because of what we do to them or with them that changes their life forever. Mm. Forever. Got it. Yeah. So that so, was that moment. And so that opened up that whole world for you. A whole celebrity world mm. for me. So and if I wanted to do covers of magazines, I had to do <clears> celebrity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was interesting in hindsight because that really became Ted's celebrity girl. I mean, career is taking these young starlets that had zero experience or very little confidence a lot of times, and taking that journey with them to them becoming superstars. Yeah. You know, and it's it's amazing. Like he was with Annie Hathaway from the princess diaries all the way through the devil wears Prada, yeah. you know, so that, that whole thing of taking this kind of um, young girl and turning into a Hollywood movie star. I'll never forget the time Ted was getting Ashley green um, ready for the Met gala. And I went with, and we were hanging out at the apartment and Ashley, the stylist was there. Ted was there. Makeup was there. And we were all just sort of sitting around waiting for Ashley to get there. And she came in in like jeans and a t-shirt and a leather jacket or a denim jacket, something like that. Just looking like, I mean, she's gorgeous, but just kind of looking like a regular girl on the street. And then having that whole team surround her and get her ready to walk that red carpet at the Met Gala when she knows that every eye, this was like at the highlight of Twilight, because um, she was in that series, mm. uh, that every eye in the world was going to be watching her. Um, and the way that she transformed from the girl on the street to a movie star was, mm. it was like watching magic. Yeah, you know? I bet it was. Yeah, that, that would have been amazing. Yeah. So whose idea was it to open salons of your own? Well, because I think... Are you getting Terry? I was just thinking about that magical moment. <laughs> no, it's a great way to describe it. It's a, it's a, I can, I can just imagine it's a, the whole butterfly thing, isn't it? The, totally. Just the chrysalis, whatever it's called, opening and turning into this beautiful butterfly. I mean, a kid walks in the door and this movie star appears in front of you when you guys, 
hair, makeup, clothing stylist have done their thing, they just yep. transform into something special. And that's a special thing to witness. Yeah, so, it's very yeah. cool. It's a special thing. And I think that that happens for people even when you take the cape off in the salon. Mm. Yeah, you know? yeah. I've, but but I think that some hair, some hair, sometimes us hairdressers, we don't know that value, mm. right? We don't know that value in ourselves and what that, that energy and that transformation and what that really means to the person sitting in the chair. And it's mm. so much value yeah it is is. i hope that this i hope that this um experience that we were just coming out of now from covid you know we've all had to change our booking times we've changed our capacity um and what i've discovered is that now we really have time to spend with each client we're not distracted by the next one sitting on the on the sofa waiting to get her to her appointment you know there's like it's given Mm -hmm. us this luxury to really have that moment with the client, um, which is, that's my favorite part, you know, is the, my favorite part is the consultation and the reveal. Mm. You know, I love those two moments and that's when we need to make her feel like she's the only woman in the world that we can see, you yeah. know, that's where the magic is. Yeah. I mean, that it, we could really dig into this cause that is so important that, and, and I love that, that you've said that. So, you know, if, if you're listening to this, I mean, there, there's so much in there, uh, you know, that is where the magic is. Uh, but in the interest of time, we have to move on because I've got so many things I need to ask you and I know we're on. The <laughs> uh, so, 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 so back to the salons, whose idea was it to go, well, we need, we should open salons because you're both successful in your own rights, doing different things. But then salons are a very different ball game, and and you jump right in the deep end, and and don't just have one salon. You had three in New York. Well, you had one in New York, one in Fort Lauderdale, if I'm right, and one in Washington. Is that correct? Yeah. Right. So yeah. that's a big deal. So 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 tell us about about that you know part of the journey. I think there were two catalysts, right? There were two. For yeah. me, it was I had applied for. The, I'd been working at Aveda for six years. I was really mm-hmm. successful in that salon on West Broadway in Soho. Um, I'd been doing a lot of education for them. And I applied for a creative director position um, that I didn't get. And I took it really personally. And so I decided that it was time for me to move on um, to work someplace else. And as I was interviewing around, Ted and I were having these conversations. Ted you know, had been with Angie and all of these other celebrities and was like really becoming famous in the hairdressing world. And also in the consumer side too, you know, like consumers were starting to pay attention to, cause he was doing so many interviews about trends. He was doing so much um, media stuff that it was sort of like our two careers sort of reached a point where we at the same time had to do something profound mm. um, and that's how the conversation of opening a salon. Now, he was said at first, let's open a salon. And I was like, no, <laughs> just like moving to New York. No. <laughs> and, and, then he, and then he said, we'll just do it for a year. Yeah. <laughs> and you went, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So, so you ended up with three and I'd love to dig into that, but we don't have enough time to, but there was a, a defining moment for me anyway, in my understanding of you, when I read an article in American salon or modern salon or something, and it was about you closing. 
So, I mean, we've just we've just glossed over. You opened one, then you opened another, and then you opened another, and you employed God knows how many staff. And, you know, you, you had a product line going big time by then. You know, so we've, I know we've glossed over all that. But I can remember just reading this article about you having made the decision to close the final salon, which was in, in bang smack in the middle of New York, which was a big deal. And I suppose for me it was actually a little bit of a defining moment about how because of why you were closing it, how the business model was changing, the consumer was changing, the hairdresser was changing. Um, to, to talk to us about that because I I found that a really, you know, sort of defining moment that if you're doing that, then there's a big shift happening in the industry, not just on the West Coast but on the East Coast as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow! You want me to relive that, do you, Anthony? <laughs> so I knew, I knew I'd sort of, you know, touched a nerve there. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell the hair on the back of my head is like this? <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, we have so much to talk about that because I think that mm. yes, you're right. That was a definite defining moment. You know, I think that um, all of us as human beings get to a place in our life where. We have to make decisions and sometimes we don't make decisions. And I have to tell you today, Anthony, we made a decision Mm. and it was the right decision. And part of why was because for, let's see, that was 2017, no, 2016 that we closed. Yeah. Yeah. 2016 that we closed. It'll be five years. It'll be five years. It's crazy. Crazy. 2016 that we closed, but the whole 2015 was terrible. Jason specifically was not happy and we, we didn't really know why he wasn't, he wasn't happy. Um, and of course we discovered it was because of the salon, but you know, the whole atmosphere of this 20, by that time we only had one salon, which was the New York salon. Yeah. And we had closed the other two. And what we found with this 20 chair salon and six shampoo bowls and, you know, 12 assistants and, you know, 15 stylists and five front desk people and managers managers and an in-house publicist that something's not right. Something does not smell good at all. Mm. And when you would, when I would cut someone's hair or a stylist in the salon would cut someone's hair, you would take them up to, as we've been trained, we take them to the retail shelf. We tell them which products we used. We take them to the front desk. As you're talking to her, she pulls out her phone. She's putting whatever you're telling her into her cart and ordering it. From someplace else. From someplace else. And then as business owners, we were stuck with warehousing $40,000 worth of inventory for a manufacturer when what the consumer wanted was to have it shipped to her house. Mm. She didn't want to buy it from the salon anymore. And, you know, it was also like people coming out of beauty school didn't want to be assistants for a year and a half. They wanted to just like learn some quick stuff and just start doing their craft, you know? So like there was a lot of cultural shifts, like mm-hmm. the whole suite 
renting, you know, the the business of one independence, uh, the independence, yeah. that whole movement was really like gaining force, gaining momentum. And we knew that our model of a year and a half of assisting, you know, all of these assistants, all of the support staff, all of this retail, this traditional model was a dinosaur. Mm. And there was no way with a $20,000 rent to reinvent in that space. Mm. And 20, 20 grand a week or a month or what? A month. Yeah, that was a month. The rent. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of haircuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Even if our average haircut was 150 mm. bucks, it was a lot of haircuts. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think the thing that I'm the most proud of is we were at, I didn't really know it at the time, but we were, we were really successful and um, noteworthy. Mm. And we didn't, we made a decision that was right for us mm. without even considering what other people would think or say, mm. you know, we didn't, we didn't think, Oh, we should keep doing this because the industry expects this from us. We did what we wanted to do because that's what we wanted to do. And so we decided um, we were at a, at a trade show in uh, Dallas or Houston I think it was in Dallas. and Zan, our coach and friend was there and we were talking about how we only have nine years left on the lease. We can stick it out for nine more years. And she said, you know, every time you talk about the salon, you talk about how much time you have left. Why don't you just yeah. close it? <laughs> and we were like, what? She said, why don't you just close it? And we looked at each other and we were like, why don't we just close it? And that's when we made the decision. It was like right before Thanksgiving, I think. Um, and you, you were able to get out of the lease. We were able to get out of the lease. Knock on wood, we were. Um, we, yeah, we've had like magical lease opportunities. Like we've been lucky yeah. in all of our businesses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but we didn't tell anybody. We didn't tell a single person. We told the landlord. We told our lawyer. We told our business partner. We told our parents. But other than that, we just kept our mouth shut because we really wanted to control the story that was going to come out. And we knew if we told one person, then everyone would know and we wouldn't yeah, have control of the story. Yeah, so we worked yeah. the whole holiday season until um, the last day that the books were open before we were going to close for Christmas. And that day we said, hey, guys, you know what? Ted and I have been doing a lot of um, thinking and exploring and deciding what we really want out of life. And what we want is to not have this salon anymore. So today is our last day. We are closing. Here's your client list. Here's your letter of recommendation. You've all been trained. You'll all be successful. Um, thank you very much. Get out. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, Matt, I have to say, with even saying that, like, <laughs> we find, I, I finally felt like we did something for us. Like, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like we had all of these years, we, if, if you look at people that we've, that have worked for us in the salon, regardless how they feel about us, mm -hmm. they still have worked at Ted Gibson salon, New York city on all of their websites and their sure. resumes, yeah. regardless of how they feel about us. Mm -hmm. And I can say that we did right by everyone that worked there, regardless of how they feel. And yeah. at that moment, when we decided we closed the salon, we did it for us. Like mm. we were just tired of doing stuff for everyone else and yeah. not having any benefit, mm. you know, and we, not, we, not even a thank you. If half the times they would send a text message or, you know, or quit, you know, just, just things that yeah, yeah. 
worked and helped them become the most yes. incredible hairdressers and people. Because if someone mm. comes back to work for you when they're 19, 20 years old, you know, you're, you're not only training them how to cut and color hair, you're also training them life lessons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know? well, that, that's what I mean about how I, I thought of it as a, I mean, you know, I'd never met you, uh, but I thought of it as a defining moment actually for the industry. Yeah. Because when, when people were doing that to you, you know, yeah. because it was a big, a big deal to work at Ted Gibson. I'm a stylist at Ted Gibson. That's a big, that was a big deal then, you know? And yeah. so when they were doing it for you, then you could only imagine how other salons were being treated as, as this, this transition yeah. away from a commission-based model to more a business unit of one was happening and it was continuing to happen. And, and it's a, it's a very difficult time for the industry to sort of find that, that position. So, yeah. so then you time and a wonderful time. Like there's a lot of really exciting things I think coming from it, but well, yes. I, I think, uh, yes, yeah, definitely what you guys then did. So exciting. Uh, and, you know, and again, never uh, open a salon again, ever. We will never, ever, ever. Just for a year. Just for a year. <laughs> <laughs> so I can imagine the conversation, Ted saying, Jason, let's move to Los Angeles. I don't want to go to Los Angeles just for a year. <laughs> Let's hope we'll sell one another you know, just for a year. <laughs> Actually, okay. when, when the conversation about Los Angeles came up, well, first of all, we didn't know we didn't know when we closed the salon that it would be big, such big news. We didn't know that it was going to be in the Hollywood Reporter. You know, we didn't know that it was going to be in the New York Times and the LA Times, and we didn't know that there would be like editorials going back between you know, other salon owners, owners in the trade magazine giving their opinion, giving their opinion and what, about we what we did wrong. Yeah. What we did wrong and what, <laughs> yeah. when we should have asked yeah, for yeah. help and, you know, all that kind of bullshit, but you know, um, yeah. but, it, oh, yeah. sorry, carry on. Jason. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> you you go. finish, you go, and then I'll jump okay, I'll in. Go. So when we closed it, we were, we ended up renting a chair from a friend and still seeing our, our clients. And we had a great apartment in the West Village. We had a beautiful home in upstate New York that we would spend probably four days a week, five days a week up, up in the country. We'd come into the city, we'd do our clients. And we did that until about April. And then we of were like... 2017. Of 2017. So probably like mm -hmm. five months. Mm -hmm. um, and we just were having a conversation about what are we doing with our lives? Like we came to New York for our career and to make our mark and we did that. Like, what are we doing in New York now? And Ted said, you know, I'm a celebrity hairdresser and the influencers are taking over the celebrities and the influencers and celebrities are in Los Angeles. Let's go to LA. And believe it or not, I was like, okay, <laughs> let's go to LA. Um, and so we loaded up the truck and we did a, we didn't tell anyone that we were moving um, because we didn't know who we wanted to be yet. And so we kept it private that we moved to LA um, so like a lot of stuff that we were posting on our, on our social media, you couldn't see palm trees. You couldn't see, um, mm. it was just really specific so that people didn't know where we were. They just but, assumed that we were in New York. But we did do an, uh, a Facebook live just about every single day on a two week journey from the East coast 
to the West Coast, to Los Angeles, but people just thought that we were on vacation. And that was so fun. We were, but we had our whole yeah, car yeah. wired with mics and cameras, yeah, and we would like fun. we picked up hairdressers in each city that we stopped in, and we interviewed them in our car. And wow, um, fantastic! Yeah, yeah, it was really great. It was really, it was great. really yeah. great. And we had like we would do a Facebook Live every day, and there were just like five or six thousand people that would you know chime in or watch and you know give us really? comments, questions yeah. while we were doing it. But and then we ended up in LA and. We had the time, the luxury of time to really think about who we want to be in the beauty industry, mm. who we want to be as entrepreneurs, and what statement we want to make as a follow-up to closing Ted Gibson on Fifth Avenue. Mm. Well, and that's when you, you then reappeared for me as an outsider. I'm flicking through modern salon, American salon, something, and then I see this picture of this salon. And I go, oh, my God, that looks incredible. And it's your new salon. Uh, and it was all about – It was, uh, and so there's – I'm sure you've heard in the media, there's a salon that's opening here, an Amazon salon opening here, and they're going on and on about how it's uh, the world's first Amazon salon. And I'm going, well, hang on. Didn't Ted Gibson do that five years ago? Yeah. And, I mean, I'm going to – like, you're, I've not been into your salon, obviously, but it is stunning and it is Thank futuristic. You in terms of the way it looks. And it was obviously so futuristic in terms of COVID and everything. It's like almost been built for it in terms of social distancing, et cetera, but just stunningly beautiful. But tell us about that because you, it's a, it's a direct response to the business model that wasn't working in New York. You have opened this new business. It's not huge from what I can see. Uh, you don't want it to be huge. Uh, it, it's called starring by Ted. Is it called starring by Ted Gibson or just starring? Starring by Ted Gibson. Right. Okay. And it, it's, but we it's, wanted starring to live on its own. So right. Okay. If you just been starring, that would be okay. Okay. Because it looks, it, I mean, you know, I see a lot of salons, but very occasionally you see one and you go, wow, you know, that's different. That's literally what every, every single person that walks through the door for the first time, that's exactly what they do. They're like, yeah. Wow, I've never seen anything like this. You know, but, but, cool. but the whole business model as well. So, talk to us about that because you touched on it before, Ted, when you were talking about. You said they go up to the desk, they get their phone out, you know, yada yada yada. At reception, you've actually built a business around all that now, haven't you? As opposed to trying to fight the culture, you've gone. So why? So tell me things like this. Why was it referred to as an Amazon salon at the time, and 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 how does it all work? You know, because it's it's different <laughs> well, to what other people are doing. Well, I can imagine how it is in the UK right now when Amazon announced last week that they were opening a salon. Um, because when we opened Starring by Ted Gibson two years ago, two years ago this month, actually, April, um, they people were kind of in the same way. Actually, mm -hmm. before that, we had launched a product called Shooting Star Texture Meringue, a one product that we have that is a hybrid of a mousse and a foam. Yeah. Um, and I used it on every single girl that I've worked on um, over the last uh, three years. And the, the thing that I can say about why we launched it, one product first was because of economics for one and for the other, because we felt like that we needed, if we were going to launch a product that we needed to think about it differently than we had before. So what's going to be our distribution model. And we decided that Amazon would be the first place that we would launch because we were the first luxury hair care product to launch exclusively on professional, Amazon, yeah. professional exclusively on Amazon. And we knew that the idea of launching in a salon is, is just different. 
It's just different. It's not the same how it used to be. And go ahead. And we also knew that that would that that, that would be polarizing. You know, we knew that people would be like, okay, Ted and Jason have lost their mind. They're going right to Amazon. Um, when really we were acknowledging where consumers shop. Mm -hmm. um, we were like... And manufacturers sell. And manufacturers sell. Like yeah, most yeah. people don't know that, that manufacturers have, have millions a, of dollars. A whole, a whole staff dedicated to sales on Amazon, yeah. you know? Because um, they don't tell the hairdresser that. No, because they don't want to betray their salon partners. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, that's another topic for another yeah. day. So, so, so do you not carry any inventory in the salon at all? Right. Only shooting star texture marine. That's the only thing that we have in the salon. Right. But, but, but the rest but I don't of it. We even sold one. No. We have it in the salon that we gift it to people sometimes, but yeah. I don't, we don't really sell it there. Yeah. yeah. You know, so we took everything that we loved about the salon business and kept and everything that we less than loved and got rid of. So we less than loved having, you know, a huge payroll overhead. Mm. So what are ways that we can get rid of payroll? Front desk and assistance. So we went from a um, specialized salon to now you do whatever you want. If you want to do cut and color, both do it all. If you want to add makeup, do it all. If you want to do brows, do it all. Um, we got so rid the of the, staff, the staff. You've got a self-employed, are they? Yes. Right. Okay. So we rent chairs. Yeah. We um, allow them. Everyone has their own key card for the front door, their own security code for the alarm system and for the back door. Um, they can book 24 seven if they like the front door is completely <coughs> secure. So you can only come in if you have an appointment, mm. your only point of contact is your hairdresser. Um, so it's really like, we don't even answer the phone when it rings mm. because we want people to book online. Mm. And it's interesting because we're learning that we're retraining the, 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 the people that work there to think about what it means to be in a salon Mm. And we're also retraining the consumer. So mm. you know, we had a guy that worked for us for a while that came from a salon in uh, West Hollywood and his client loved the, the talking to someone on the phone and having valet. We don't have any of that. So mm. we have a, we're building a whole new consumer that loves working through her phone more than picking up the phone and calling somebody. Yeah. So how many team members do you have there? Three. And we have five clouds, what we call clouds. They're 13 feet high by yeah. nine feet long and eight and a half feet wide. So as you said earlier, they were already social distance. Um, but the whole idea of that, we don't care how's retail. So everything is by QR code. So if you recommend a product for a, a guest, you know, they can pull out their phone, take a picture of it and ships right to them. Um, mm -hmm. Let's just say we don't have a front desk. Um, we just really thought about what the future of salons um, would be, and we ended up really designing a salon for now, even though it's for the future. When you recommend a product to someone and they get their phone out and buy it, is it like an affiliate thing? Yes. Like, do you have a, a Ted Gibson store on Amazon where you don't have to carry the inventory? So it's your inventory on Amazon, they carry it, they warehouse it, you get a commission on it, or whoever sells it, the individual stylist gets a commission on it. Absolutely. Right. But it's really interesting because the product has completely, for me, disappeared from the equation. You know, I don't really finish hair, so I don't use product. But when I had product on the shelf, I was still trying to really hustle and sell that product. Yeah. But because there's no product on the shelf, like, I don't really care if yeah. 
she buys product or not. Well, because there was a time where, you know, we, in order to be able to have a business and be able to possibly take senior staff to education, all of those kinds of things were wrapped up into product. It would help to maybe pay the rent, you know? So it, it was at a point where maybe we were trained because we were manufacturer driven that we needed to sell product in order to do all of these things. Meanwhile, the stylist doesn't want to sell product because they don't want to be a salesperson. And then the consumer didn't want to buy it anymore <laughs> from there, from there. Yeah. You know, so we were in this catch 22 of what is it that we do? Well, we just not, have the manufacturer building it again on our on our backs like if if we if we did not as if we knew the value of us as hairdressers and we want to be a part of something <laughs> absolutely um but we have to know what that value is for ourselves when a major manufacturer comes to you and you buy twenty five thirty thousand dollars and you put it on a shelf mm -hmm. and then you have to add more to that because you have to buy every single month in order to stay in business with these people. How a salon is not profitable. You can't make any money. You mm. can't buy, you can't make any money. Yeah. Okay. It's a terrible business model. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I know we have to start wrapping up in a minute. We unfortunately. Can we can have 15 more minutes. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Okay. Great. Good. I don't have, I don't have to, to push this because there were so many things I want to dig into with that. Uh, okay. Okay. So, so what other sort of technology have you got in there? Like what is it that separates that salon? I mean, it looks amazing. It looks futuristic, but what is some of the technology that you're using in there that, that is revolutionary that does set it apart? I mean, you've talked about some of it already. Is there anything else? I mean, we try. Do you take cash, for example? Are you cashless or? We're cashless. Right. Okay. Um, we tried to incorporate technology wherever we could, you know, mm -hmm. so the lighting, you know, we have yeah. preset white lights to check hair color in any color of white light. So it goes from very warm and golden to very cool and blue violet white. Yeah. Um, we have mood enhancing lights for while they're processing, if they want to chill, if they need some energy, whatever. Uh, the music is all controlled through technology. Uh, the temperature is controlled through technology. The coffee maker can be controlled through technology. The security system is all, you know, the newest technology from um, ADT, um, which is a security company here. I don't know if it's worldwide or not. Um, the, so any place that we use the vacuum, we have a Roomba that spins around the salon at night and cleans for us. Yeah. So anywhere that we could, we have tablets at every station, anywhere that we could think of incorporating technology and it's not new technology. It's technology that's available to everyone in their home. Yeah. 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 But you've built it, to do it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the way that we tie everything together Yeah, and then through the booking platform to, you know, have them create a profile just like getting in an Uber. So when she's ready to go, she on her own phone checks out. Right. You know? That's yeah. That's so that's super cool. Instead and, of having to sit at the front desk where she yeah. she's ready to go at that point, she's yeah. been there for two hours, two and a half hours. She's ready to go. She doesn't want to go at a front desk. Wait for the front desk to be answering the phone and then mm -hmm. trying to check her out and all that stuff. She's ready to go. And so you know, it's awesome for the hairdresser. 
How many times does it happen where a client sits in my chair? She has a great experience with me. She loves everything. And then she gets to the front desk and something goes wrong. Mm. And the whole experience is ruined and it was out of my control. You yeah. know, so now the hairdresser controls every <coughs> single second of the experience from letting her in the front door to walking her to the door to leave. You know, it's yeah. like there's yeah. no one else interfering in, in that process at all. Yeah. And all of it is, or there's a lot of it that I know is like Siri, you know, voice activated stuff, isn't it? The technology you've got to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And, and the, you, you, you use the term uh, like an Uber profile. So they've got all their credit card details and everything in the system. It's literally up and out. It's all done. It's like just yeah. seamless transaction. Yes. Wow. And so that's that's why you call it a smart salon. That's the yeah. definition of a, And that's what you meant, really, with like it's like taking that technology from the home because, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of that stuff exists in the home, but it's embedding it into a commercial you know, salon environment, which is incredible. And so you're literally in there saying, Alexa, turn up the lights, turn down the music, you know, change the tempo. You're, you're literally doing that. That's, that's incredible. And it's really remarkable how it's so impressive to people. Yeah. You know, when we change the light in the cloud, it's so impressive, but yeah. you can do the same thing with a light bulb at home. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. for some reason, it's so unexpected in the salon environment that it's very impressive. And if you go to my Instagram at Ted Gibson, you'll see because I posted a, a video today of the cloud and us changing the light in the cloud by asking Alexa to do it. Mm. Yeah. So whose whose idea was a design thing? I know you used a you know a, a, a very architect. high profile architect, but you mean know, did you come to him with? look, we've got this idea. How do you make this work? Was there any references? Because it's it's so unique. Thank you. you know, yeah. Were you inspired yeah, or anything else? Did you see something else and go, that sort of concept in a salon would be brilliant? Or is it just... No, it was more we had a... It was just like, you know, having a hair color consultation. <laughs> you know, we sat down with uh, Francisco and... But before that, a friend of ours, um, who's also a client, who's a um, senior VP... Oh, communications. Right. We were saying we want to create this salon idea, but we want it to be private, but we don't want it to be a suite because I don't think a suite necessarily is a in the idea of what a luxury is for us. Mm. Wouldn't a suite with a door wouldn't work. Mm. And you know, if you if you've ever flown first class, you know you have your own little individual pod, and you have your your mm. screen in front of you, and you can you know every everything you need is right in front of you and around yeah. you and comfort and everything. And we said to her, and and she said, "Well, why don't you create like that pods?" That pods. And we're like, "Pods," and that's what we took to Francisco. Yeah the idea of what a pod or first-class experience would be. And he'd never done a salon before, mm -hmm. but when he gave us his first drawings, <laughs> we were both like almost crying because it was so unlike anything we'd ever seen before and so beautiful and so high end and mm -hmm. so futuristic, you know? Yeah. Oh, there were no shampoo bowls. <laughs> Our bathroom. There was no bathroom. <laughs> there was no place to store product. There was, you know, so like the first, the first drawings then started this whole, and it actually was going to be just one cloud mm -hmm. that went through yeah. the whole space this way. Okay. Yeah. Five individual clouds. Right. Which okay. we ultimately came up with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was yeah. a really great, um, if, if, if you ever, if anyone listening ever has the opportunity to work with an architect and, 
and start to build something from basically a, a clean vanilla shell yeah. into, you know, your dream. Mm. It's really remarkable. Mm. It was a, it was a great journey. Okay. Um, I can't talk to Ted Gibson without talking about the amount of money you charge for a haircut because I mean, oh, okay. a lot of a lot of people know about that. You know? Oh, okay. <laughs> and for those that, and for those that don't, I mean, you know, just like get ready. <laughs> um, because I mean, I hear I hear it said uh, written that you charge uh, was it twenty four hundred dollars for a haircut now. Do you charge everyone that or is, oh, we've got one or two clients that pay that, but some of my old favorites, you know, they're 250. I mean, how does that, how does that work? Like, is it, I mean, because I mean, I used to have salons and I used to charge some people, you know, the highest price, but some people I'd had for a long time are on a, on a, you know, a lower price. Um, is it, is it $2,400 for every single client or is there some sort of structure to that, that it depends a little bit? No, every client is $2,400 or it's complimentary. There's no way. Ah, fantastic. fantastic. The reason why, yeah, the yep. reason why is because I truly believe that I, for me, it's not about being behind the chair every single moment doing 10 mm. clients a day. Yeah. And my career has never really been about that. Mm. So when we first opened the New York Salon all those years ago, my haircut price was $450. Mm-hmm. And then it went from $450 to $800, $800 to $1,200, I think $1,200 to $1,800, and then now $2,400 over mm-hmm. the last almost 20 years of my work right? in, okay. in the salon piece. Well, and, I congratulate you. I think that's just well, amazing. Thank you. I well, you know, I, I, for, for me, it's, it's, we always have to think about not having just one source of income, if that, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you charge one client $150 and you charge another one $450 and another one $50, then how do you keep that in your head? Like, yeah, yeah. And, and to simplify things, have it the price that you think that you're worth and what your market can bear. Mm-hmm. And my bar- market can bear $2,400. That's, that's um, fantastic. For, for, for my English audience, Ted's talking about uh, that's got to be close to 2,000 pounds. Yes. So for, for a haircut. Um, yes. So for my, for my Australian audience, that is $3,000 easily. $3,000. Some of them have just fallen over. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it depends on where someone is in their career. You know, yeah. when Ted yeah, decided, yeah. he was never really a salon hairdresser. Mm. And so when he decided to start seeing clients in the salon, it was more about giving a woman the opportunity to have the Angelina Jolie experience. Mm. You know, so his, he do, he's always done his own shampoos. He's always done his own finish work. He's always put a little lipstick on her before something we took from Horst, mm-hmm. you know, before she leaves. Um, and it's always, it's, it's very special, mm-hmm. you know, it's not about having a full book of clients. It's about offering a glimpse into a world that some people never have the opportunity to have a glimpse into. Yeah. You know, so Kevin Bacon, right? Yeah. Six degrees. <laughs> you know, so well, it's like, it, it you can't imagine charging that much if you're if you're relying on the your book being full all day every day you know because you raise your prices that much and lose everyone but 
That said, a lot of people take a lot of pride in being booked three months in advance. Mm. When to me, that means you're not charging enough money. Mm -hmm. Mm. If you're booked three months in advance, raise your prices 20%, lose 20% of your clients, but open the door for those people that would never pay less than your new higher price. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Look, I, I, it's a long time ago now, but when I had my salons, uh, at the time, I was the most expensive hairdresser in Australia. Nothing in the league of what you're talking about. But at the time, it was the most expensive haircut. And I remember when I put my prices up to that level, um, and I actually had a client of mine who was a journalist with one of the Sunday papers, and she wrote an article. And within the article, there was just a, just a sentence that said, you know, Anthony Whitaker, you know, Australia's most expensive hairdresser charges X dollars. I can't even remember what it was at the time, but it was, was in the, it was a hundred and 148 or something, you know, 20 odd years ago. And and that was considerably more expensive than, you know, anybody else in town at the time. And it was interesting what happened is that, yes, I did lose some clients, uh, but I attracted people because I was the most expensive hairdresser. There are people that will come to you, me or someone else, because we say I'm the most expensive hairdresser and money is not the issue to them. They want to be able to say, I mean, you alluded to it then, Jason, about that experience that, you know, you, I think you referred it to that, you know, the Angelina Jolie movie star experience of, of, of having that. And if you've got the amount of money that obviously these people have, it's just another number. You know, it's like, You know, you're not trying to have a full book with 10 clients a day and be, you know, ram doing 30 clients a week. That's not who you are. But there are people out there that don't want to go to a hairdresser that is like that either. They want. Believe it or not, most of the people that that come to TED, it's a special occasion. Mm -hmm. You know, her daughter is getting married and she wants to have a makeover for the the wedding or, you know, her husband bought it for her for their 25th wedding anniversary or, you know, it's it's always a moment, you know, there are a handful of regulars, but it generally it's people that are looking for something very special. Mm. And Ted is the master at delivering special. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good. Okay. I think that's the perfect note to leave it. (laughs) We said it was going to be a family show. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, I was on a show called what not to wear too. So that really, you know, it went from, you know, this, this thing into this, you know, brand recognition that television really makes that made such a huge difference. You know, if, if we had a stylist who was an assistant for a year or two years and they went on the floor, they didn't have to worry about building a book because the phone was ringing like crazy because of the television show, TLC's What Not to Wear. And I still, to this day, it hasn't been on the air for 10 years. I still... To this day, have people that it just happened. Me. Yeah, we have this uh, this young actress that came for hair color the other day, and at the end of her service, she said, "Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm on that TLC show." Yeah, and I yeah. said, "You mean what not to wear?" And she goes, "Yeah." And I was like, "That's Ted." <laughs> and in that moment, she was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> this girl's got like six million followers on Instagram and she's like <laughs> super starstruck by Ted, you know? <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god, to tell my mom! Oh my god! We just watched the show together! Oh my god, dude! So funny! Uh, that's great. That's fantastic. You know, we, I, I can't let you um, end our conversation without talking about what Ted and I are so passionate about in this moment. Okay. 
have started a new nonprofit called the Worth Up Alliance. Yes. It is a program of Beauty Changes Lives. Mm-hmm. And what, what Worth Up Alliance does is addresses three challenges for would-be beauty entrepreneurs. A lack of business education, because mm-hmm. most beauty entrepreneurs are like me, who have you know, a high school degree or diploma and maybe some college, but most of us haven't finished college. Um, but we want to have our own business and we're not going to go back to business school. So we need some kind of business education that can help us be successful. So the Worth Up Alliance provides that through the entrepreneurial video library, where I interview the leading icons in our industry to tell their victory stories, their failures, their challenges, what advice they would give to new entrepreneurs. Um, It's very exciting. Uh, Then uh, there's a, a challenge with networking, you know, like a, a someone opening a salon in Duluth, Minnesota, doesn't maybe have a lot of people to talk to about business. So we're creating a network of like-minded professionals that can support one another. Mm-hmm. And the third challenge is uh, serious inequity in funding. Yeah. Um, you know, 60% of salon owners are women and people of color. And, you know, without a degree and uh, a history as, as a hairdresser behind the chair, it's incredibly challenging to go to a bank and get money. So mm. we are fundraising for uh, the first quarter of next year to start giving away dream capital. So we're going to be giving money to entrepreneurs to open their own businesses. So it's okay. something you can go to worthupalliance.org. Um, check us out. Uh, by the end of May, we will have... 30 videos on our on our site that are you'll have access to via donation to the org- organization um and that let me just tell you like it's so good the information that i'm <laughs> hearing from people like candy shaw telling the story of mm. how she was a little girl in georgia stepping on the clay beach and her feet would break through the dry clay and yeah, yeah. Hit the clay and that was the inspiration for bringing the world's first clay lightener to market yeah. like yeah. Hearing those people tell those stories, it gives me goosebumps right now because it's yeah. it's so impactful and wonderful. So I'm I'm glad to be able to share that with your audience because even if you're if you're thinking about opening your own business or if you just need a little inspiration, um, these videos have it. Our people have a business already and they're not sure how to take it to the next level. There are going to be nuggets within um, the worthupalliance.org that will give them that little bit of push to make a difference and a change in their life. Because we really believe that the beauty entrepreneur is the future because of small business. We all know that the pandemic, this is one of the things that the flower that came out of, you know, the pandemic where we have been, you know, decimated um, in the beauty industry because there were no resources of where to go or what to do. Meanwhile, the restaurant business had tons and tons and tons of resources, you know, on, on, on evening news, that's all you would ever talk hear about was the mm. restaurants, the restaurants, restaurants. Meanwhile, the hairdresser, the barber, the esthetician, the nail tech, we were all kind of forgotten about. Mm. But we have not forgotten about you. If you go to the worthupalliance.org, it is our mission to be able to help beauty entrepreneurs live their dreams. Well, that's brilliant. And, I, and I'm and i sorry I left that right until the end because I think that's a podcast on its own. So there's a, there's an excuse for us to connect again because you've been okay. an absolute wealth of 
information and knowledge and passion and and I know a lot of people would have got a lot out of it. So so we should revisit this further down the line because I think what you just described sounds absolutely beautiful and and you know something that would be valued by the industry big time. So thanks for that. So uh, uh, look, we need to start wrapping up. So if you're listening to this podcast with Ted Gibson and Jason Backey and have enjoyed it, then don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating or review. Uh, so to wrap up, Ted Gibson and Jason Backey, have you got any final words? Have you got any you know, final little uh, sentence to, to say to our audience before we part company? You're lost for words. I, I mean, kind <laughs> 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 um, of. I have one. Okay. Or several. Go. Okay. If you are a hairdresser, and you don't know the importance of what you do every single day, you need to discover it for yourself and hashtag worth up. Perfection. Thank you. You're welcome. Jason, do you know what I want you to say, Jason? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what I want you to say because you've already said it, but we didn't record it. Okay. And I want you to say, what was, as your final words, the day you first worked in, walked into a salon? I want you to tell me what that experience was, because I think it was the most magical description of it that I've ever heard. I think, I think what you're talking about was actually um, the day that I walked into beauty school. So I'd been going to college for four years off and on and never felt successful in that learning style and decided sort of on a whim to go to beauty school. And the day that I walked into the Aveda Institute in Minneapolis, the Horst Education Center in Minneapolis, was like the day that Dorothy's house landed in Oz and her whole world went from black and white to Technicolor. That's how I felt like everything all of a sudden made sense. And I was surrounded by my people and I felt this community that I hadn't felt before. And it was a magical moment. Well, that's perfect. Jason Backey and Ted Gibson, thank you very much for being on this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.